DJ and PK brought to you in part by Syringa Networks. Syringa Networks home to complete business telecom and IT solutions backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. DJ PK and Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, join us now. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So, Steve, every week you come on, and there's no games. You wonder what we're going to talk about. But you continue to amaze us, reaching deep into your bag of stories, and you pull out another thriller every week. I am dying to know what it's going to be. And right now, you probably don't even know what it's going to be, but I know it's out there, Steve. (laughs) There is some truth to that. I don't know that I've ever been on a television or radio show where I have no idea what we're going to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) So I was thinking, uh, go ahead, PK. I think DJ, we got to stop calling him our basketball insider and just call him our life insider. I agree with that. I think that's actually the reason the segment works. It's because the story, the stories aren't all about, well, with three minutes left, we called a timeout and I drew up a play. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Go ahead. There's a lot of different stories out there. I'm just curious now, and as a college coach, Kyle Whittingham said this, and when he said it, I thought, yeah, it's probably true, but that, and now the closer we get to the more I think, nope, Kyle had it. He had it dialed in. He said at the start of the whole coronavirus thing, he says, I think we're all going to look at the NFL, because if the NFL can't go, I don't see how college can. They've got more money, and they got fewer players. If they can't pull it off, I don't see how we're going to pull it off with less money and more players. And if we can't pull it off, how can high school football pull it off? And so I thought, oh, there's some truth to it. But the closer we get, the more I think, oh, he is really spot on. Now let's change that to basketball and let's go back a few years and pretend you're still coaching, Steve, instead of, you know, enjoying the grandkids and golfing and watching everyone else deal with the stress. Because uh, you got a good thing going, Steve. You got a very good thing going. Uh, but if you were coaching now and you're watching what the pros are going through, and I keep hearing this, and we talked with uh, Dr. David Petron's come on a couple times, and you know he's at the University of Utah and he's hip deep in all the medical stuff, a real bridge between the medical community and the sports community there. And and I ran this by him too. It's the Bucks and the Kings yesterday. The Bucks and the Kings on Sunday closed down their practice facilities because of positive tests. The Nuggets, the Heat, the Clippers, and the Nets have done it. And my point to Dr. Petron was, are people safer in their home market, or are they safer going to a bubble in Orlando? There are certainly risks in Orlando, there's no question. Uh, How big a risk, I don't know that we can really assess. But there are clearly risks staying in Denver, staying in Miami, staying in Brooklyn, staying in L.A., staying in Sacramento, and staying in Milwaukee. So you're weighing the risk. Now, it's a little different with college kids because they're not making millions of dollars. In some cases, they might be 17 and be minors. So bringing a kid onto a college campus is risky, but leaving that kid in their community, a kid who, depending on the story, you know, maybe they're living in an apartment with seven or nine or 11 people or whatever. And if one person gets it, how are you going to socially distance you know, that, that's a real risk. How would you be feeling as a college coach now going on with the season and bringing kids on campus, knowing kids are coming from so many different places, some which may be hotspots, some not. Some kids are living in 4,000 square feet with four people. Some are living with eight people and, you know, 1,500 square feet. What would you be thinking right now as a college coach? 
Well, I think, I think first of all, uh, it, the whole thing would make you nervous. Uh, you know, I think the good, the good thing is that uh, a lot of the universities have plans in place, and, and we read about them, heard about them, and, you know, the idea that you come in and get your individual work, you have your own basketball, and when you're done with your own basketball, it gets completely wiped down, and, you know, you go to another sector and you work on something else. Um, you know, we've never, we've never seen the game look like this before. Uh, but I just tell you, as a coach, I think you do every possible thing you can do. And, and we'll, we'll address another issue is those that don't have the resources. But if you have the resources, especially right now where the dorms aren't really being used, there's a lot of housing where, you know, individuals can house by themselves. Uh, there's certainly plenty of space on campus right now for social spacing to eat and do those. I mean, those are all things that are controllable. And so... Yeah, it'd make you nervous, but I think there's also something there that really brings a group together. And it's, it's kind of us against the world, you know, us against the pandemic. And, and I, I think there's some solidarity that comes from this when guys get together under really, really difficult circumstances that is so public and so transparent out there around the world that I think it brings your team closer together. I mean, it's kind of you're, you're fighting a battle, you're being protective. Certainly you're nervous. I can't imagine a campus. You know, like you said, 17 and 18 year olds. What are, what are they doing? You're going to have to have control of their lives, and that makes you know. Right now, I, I hear all of the the narrative with the NBA is players even saying this about themselves. Hey, they don't have the discipline to do that in their life. There's no way that they can just stay in that bubble and not leave it and go get a bite to eat or go to a club or do those kinds of things. But I, I have a little more respect and admiration for the, for the NBA and for the coaches. Yes, there may be a few defectors that mess it up from themselves and maybe mess it up for a lot of people if bad things happen. But I, I believe as a college coach, you, you have an opportunity here to be as together as you have ever been. I mean, it, it's kind of like being on an island together. and we gotta, we got to hang in there for each other. And so immediately the culture of that organization, whether it was tight-knit or it was a group of guys all coming back from the year before, it, you're going to see more united teams. I suspect you'll see some mistakes. But I, to be honest with you, I think every coach, I mean, look, consider what coaches do around the world. Every year around during the late summer, early fall, uh, they're doing retreats. They're, they're doing experiences together. They're, maybe they're doing a Navy SEALs thing. Maybe they're doing uh, rope climbing. Maybe they're you know, doing the ropes courses. Whatever teams do to kind of pull them together, they don't have to do that this year because it's been done for them. It's called the COVID-19. It's the pandemic. And so a lot of the things that are happening, are, I think, are going to have a real positive impact on teams and coaches and unity and bringing them together. Where they've got to trust each other now because they're in a circumstance and environment they don't understand. And so they have to lean on and understand that uh, hey, we got to do this together, man. We don't, we don't want anybody to get this, you know, COVID nineteen. We don't want anybody to get hurt. We got to stay together. We got to smart. We got to hang out for each other. You you might have some teams where you have two or three seniors that your player led guys that make sure guys are where they're supposed to be. Now everybody's helping everybody because there's just so many unknowns. I don't know if you saw that Morgan Scally the. Utah came out and 
I guess, the verdict or the results of the investigation. You know, he's a defensive coordinator on the football team, and he's going to stay. He uh, basically, he was going to be coaching waiting. They've rescinded that, and they've cut his pay from uh, like a million plus down to 500 plus and a couple other things. My thought for you, my questioning, is, you know, you're in that stressful situation when you're coaching these kids. And we've seen it a little bit with Oklahoma State and their football coach. He took a million-dollar pay cut. Uh, how do you think it's going to change the way coaches interact with players now? Uh, and it can get volatile, and you can get heated and say stuff and so forth. So I'm wondering is how much of a fundamental change is there going to be as, as coaches try to coach their players? Well, there's going to be a change. There's going to be a change, and I and, I, and I'm not just talking about the racial slurs and those things. I mean, we just take the, the complete body of coaching player-coach relationships, and I think you guys watch it all the time at the high school and the college and the professional level. And young people today, there's a heightened sensitivity. You know, people, well, they're millennials, or they're you know they're this or that. But at the end of the day. There is a sensitivity to uh, being more uh, kind and and being more honest and giving more positive feedback and those kinds of things, which are all character traits of what all good coaches have. There's another side of coaching where you know you you're dealing with frustration, you're dealing with a lack of performance or a lack of execution, lack of effort, and all coaches have ways to get the attention of their teams. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. I. When I got back from Indiana, um, I ended up going to a junior college. I went to watch uh, a junior college practice. In fact, the, the coach asked me to come watch and tell me what I thought about his team. And the last junior college team that I had at, at that school, uh, there was, I mean, we, I think we had nine Division I transfers. I mean, they're Division I guys that went on and played at the Division I level. So I had really, really good teams. And so I walked in there, and I looked around, and I saw – Mm, you know, I know I'm sure there was a Division One player in the program, uh, but maybe a Division Two, maybe NIA, but there, there wasn't a lot of great talent. But guys were giving a great effort, and this coach was someone that could really get kids to play hard. About midway through, the, through practice, he he started getting into kids and uh, and using inappropriate language, and uh, you know just just. Doing things that it just bothered me a little bit, you know. And I, and I I know when guys get upset and make a mistake and say something that they wish they hadn't. But when you use words as adjectives, adverbs, nouns, you know, there's certain words in our language you can use them, and they have context on almost everything. And uh, and I started watching, and and it kind of just made it kind of disgusted me because I thought this this is not how we're going to treat people. You know, and and they had won twelve or thirteen championships in a row. And he generally is is a, is a good person. I mean, he's got a good family, but this was a one little wart in his coaching career that I thought I'm going to need to say something. I, I can't sit here and watch this when it's done. So I sat down with him. And I told him, I said, "Listen, you know, this is you know, 2016, 2017, man. You you." I know there may have been a time back in the 40s and 50s where people just said what they wanted and, and no one ever knew about it. But this is a time where people come in here, you got the media, you got the TV. You, I, I, you know, in that day, there was nobody in. I think he had locked the doors, you know, and there wasn't anybody in there. But the language, and, and not so much the language, but the tone of it, it was personal. You know, you know what I mean? Where people personalize things. 
And I just told him, I just said, you know what? Listen, coach, I said, I love you. I love what you do. I said, but you personalized everything. And I said, it's one thing to, to use a swear word to get somebody's attention. It's another thing to use it several times and personalize it. That will destroy your team. It will destroy the morale of your team. I said, you can't do that stuff anymore. And he had been around coaches, old school coaches, that that's kind of how they did things. And, I, and I've had coaches like that. That That's not going to – first of all, it's, it's not the best way to coach. It's not the best way to motivate. But it was a way that was used a lot. And, 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 and I've never been in a setting where there were racial uh, situations uh, with comments. I, I've never been in that. I coached a, a lot of diverse teams, uh, not just African-Americans, but Hispanics and, and, and European players. Uh, so I've never really experienced that firsthand. But uh, it's certainly something that I never would have. But I, I, I think for a long time, coaches kind of lose their minds. For a long time, I'd, I'd go in and watch practices. When I was doing stuff for ESPNU, I'd go and always watch practices. And, uh, and I felt like about half the time it was demeaning, it was hurtful, and it didn't really – I mean, there's a difference between getting into a guy and getting an effort from him and yelling at him and, and, uh, rather than – Telling him that he's this or he's that, and you know, and and really, really using destructive language. So it's it's one of those things that you have to to really, really, really be appropriate about understanding that these are young people, and it's, I'm not saying for a minute you don't get after people and push them to their limit, and but I think there's ways you can do that in a positive way, and, I, and even with a, with a tone of voice that says I'm not happy, but never ever uh, with excessive swearing and really inappropriate swear words that uh, people would be, might be sensitive to, and, and certainly racial slurs, those kinds of things. There's no place for that anymore. And it's existed. We know it's existed. And there's just no place for it. I, I will say one other little quick thing. I remember my first year as a high school coach. And I was 23 years old. And I had a JV team. Uh, we were a brand-new high school. And uh, so... Uh, we only had ninth and tenth graders, so you know I didn't have real good players. And so, the, anybody that could shoot, walk, talk was on the, the varsity, and I had everybody else. And uh, and I had a lot of energy. I had just finished playing down at Irvine. I was excited, and uh, we had a day where a kid challenged me. And and this was a day I, it could have changed my life. I mean, he he said some really inappropriate things to me. Not having any idea what, what, you know, really understanding what this environment and circumstance looks like. And I, I lost my mind. <laughs> I mean, I took off after the kid. And I, we're in the middle of practice. I, and I'm, I take after this kid, and I am a full speed sprint. And I'm not even sure what I'm going to do when I get to him, but it's probably not going to be the right <laughs> thing. Because he, he had really, really embarrassed me in front of this team. And I ran him, and I caught him, and I probably got him in a corner. And I never touched him, though I wanted just to smack him in the head. I never touched him. I put my arms on the walls and just got right in his face and just told him, don't you ever, 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 ever say something like that, do something like that. And by that time, he's scared, you know, a little bit. But I thought to myself, what, what if I had done something really inappropriate? What if I pushed him and he fell down or hit him? Or, you know, because I was living I was livid that he would say something like that. And he was a 14, 15-year-old kid who didn't know any better. Uh, but I remember that being a time when uh, if I had done something, you know, I might have been selling insurance very quickly in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 
So I, I know how it happens, but I, I, I understand, and I, I'm not saying people, you know, the language you use in a practice, that's, that's you, that's you. But at the end of the day, when it becomes real personal, uh, it can really destroy a team. See, I knew there'd be a story. No doubt in my mind. There it is. I knew you had it, Steve. <laughs> I just think that if you're coaching kids now at the high school, the college level, possibly, possibly at the pros too, when they're new to the team and new to the league, but until you have their trust and until you feel, and this is not how things were wired in the 70s or 80s or whatever decade, but now there is so much anxiety and so much stress in the average kid's life. Even in the kids who are performing academically and athletically, they're carrying around a ton more anxiety and stress than we did when we were kids. I think until you have their trust and they want to perform for you, and it doesn't matter if it's sports or academics or the arts, uh, drama, music, whatever, until they think this person has my back, they're not really going to perform. And when you hold them accountable, it can't be so much yelling at them as the group is counting on you to do this. You got to do it for the group. And that is, if you go any harder than them at that, I think that's where we start to see 800 transfers. I don't, yeah. I don't think anything yeah. else works anymore. I, I completely agree. And, it, and, and the NC2A has made it so easy now. And, you know, I'm sure that this one time opportunity to transfer uh, is, is probably going to happen, you know. Um, and, and, and I don't know when, what it does. And you've really got to be sensitive to those things. You know, one of the things that I just looking from afar, and I'm not, I've not been to a practice. Uh, I've been to some informal workouts and things, but I, I know just I, the coach Pope at BYU has, has really made a huge thing about having the best locker room in the country. You know, whether that's true or not, it, it, it doesn't matter. That's that is what they've established, and that is that is something that that's the brand of that that program. And I, I thought, you know, that's a really really good thing. I mean, what, what a great thing to wrap your arms around. And again, I'm not really, but I've been to maybe 20 or 30 minutes of watching practices before games and stuff, so I haven't seen them practice a lot. But I, I thought that idea of having the best locker room in the country, you know, everybody's got slogans and different things, but in this day and age, you know, what does that look like? Well, that, that probably looks like coaches that care, care about kids, that, that players getting along. And not being selfish, and it's a it's a united you know it, it it brings on a life of its own, and so what does a team look like that has you know has a great locker room, uh, you know in that kind of player led type teams, those are the kinds of things that resonate with parents today, with players today, where it's with just what you just said, where I know there's going to be some trust, I know people are going to have my back, I know that if things don't go well, they won't give up on me. I know I'm gonna, they're going to help me get better. Get to the, you know, when we were coaching, you'd recruit a kid, and it was like, we're going to help you get to the next level, right? And when, I, when I was a high school coach, I said, I'm going to get you to the next level. You know, you're, you're trying to sell your program to the community, get people to move in, transfer, whatever. Junior college, you know, the, the whole theme. Junior college was so much fun because every kid was there. They had the same, you know, goal. I want, I want to play at the next level. And so you're doing things to play at the next level. And now, now, you know, you get in a situation where you establish a culture that says, we want everybody in America to come to our place. You know, and so you can do that with so many different platforms and social media that reaches so many more people than we used to. I mean, nobody outside of 
Fresno would have any idea what the Fresno City College program was about unless you were had a son uh, in, in playing at that level or you were a coach. I mean, we, we had limited access to the world there. Well, today, that's not the case. And so if I'm coaching today, those are the things, Dave, that, David, that you just talked about, that I want everyone to know that that's who we are, that's how we go about doing our business, and uh, this is about the players. This is a players' team. It's a player-led team. We got a great locker room. You, you know, you, everybody talks about their facilities and all those things. But I think in this day and age, having a good locker, locker room is really important to players uh, and especially parents. Steve, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for the stories and the perspective. Our Thank life, our life insider, <laughs> Steve Cleveland, joining us. We. Hey, I appreciate it. We got lots of stories, man. And uh, you know, the thing about this is, uh, as I think back, just in in, the, in my, all of my experiences, uh, they don't always come to you, but they do come back to you. I, that's one thing. I just be doing things, photo uh, pop up. So, thank you for allowing me to kind of go back into my life and uh, remember the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. See ya. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, our life insider at PK. It's so funny. It is so funny listening to him tell that story because I can totally see that. It wasn't that different than coaches I played for. Oh, no, not at all. I had a freshman coach that I was, you know, I had just moved from New Jersey, so I had the, I had the accent, too, and I was probably more sarcastic. And I popped off in basketball, and the coach chased me. He de- he de- same thing, dead sprint, <laughs> chased me, and I, st- I literally started running towards the door, and he saw that I was going to get outside. So he had the basketball in his hand. He threw the basketball at me, and I jumped out of the way, and it hit me in the legs. And I didn't fall down, but it kind of bounced and short hopped me right in the lower part of my body. <laughs> and, and actually, I, I thought that, man, I, I got to watch myself. I never, I never went home and told anybody, but uh, I, I put myself in that same thing. What would have happened if he would have gotten to me and he couldn't get to me and he saw that I was going to go outside, so he threw the ball at me? Suppose it would have hit me in the head and knocked me down. Yep. Would have changed his career. Just like Steve was talking yeah. about, it could have changed his. Yeah. And the whole inappropriate coaching thing, I just think, I think guys our age know that because they probably either played for someone like that or had a buddy who did and heard the stories. Uh, and then you could feel it changing in the 90s, and it's just so different now. <laughs> it's so different now. That would never fly. But that inappropriate language thing, holy cow, did I have a coach. Just so many F-bombs during practice. And I can remember the time, but I'm 15 and I want to play. And so I'm like, wow, that's, that's a lot of that work. But then I'm just on to like, hey, what have I got to do to play? You know, I, I got to get in the rotation. I'm on the end of the bench or I'm in the rotation. How, what have I got to do to start? And, now, and then I look back now and I'm like, what was he doing? He did. Uh, it's like we were talking earlier about people being complicated. He told me so many things that I've used later in life. At Channel 2 in the early days when I almost got fired, I could hear his voice. Do the next thing right. Do Be good. You know, I just come in like, I got to do a good story today. That Nothing else matters. I got to do a good story today. I could just hear his voice. Of course, it was do a bleeping good story. I never, ever had an issue with Jerry Sloan because I could just, every time Jerry opened his mouth, I could hear my high school basketball coach. <laughs> it's so similar. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. 
Basketball is back. The Zone Sports Network is keeping you up on all the latest news with the Utah Jazz in the NBA. This is a back-to-basketball update. Oh, he never looked at the net. Presented by Zions Bank. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Jazz are scheduled to travel to Orlando tomorrow to begin their on-site preparation for the resumption of the season. They'll begin the restart against the Pelicans on July 30th. The Milwaukee Bucks and Sacramento Kings shut down their practice facility Sunday after receiving results of a recent round of testing for COVID-19. They joined the Nuggets, Heat, Clippers, and Nets as teams who shut down the facilities ahead of traveling to Orlando in the past week. Laker assistant coach Lionel Hollins will not travel to Orlando. He'll remain in California due to underlying medical conditions. He'll work with the team remotely. This back-to-basketball update is presented by Zions Bank on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. For a bank that understands your business, Zions Bank is for you. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Right now we're good. We're going out there ready to hoop. Um, and I think the biggest thing, you know, that, that kind of sucked was that it took away from the guys on the team, took away what the guys on the team were trying to do. And I, I really wish that, you know, as going forward, you know, I think that'll be really the primary focus is just us gelling as a team because obviously you, Rudy and I had COVID and whatever happened, happened. But, you know, now we're ready to hoop and focus on the team as, as a whole, you know, because we're t- not really trying to keep taking attention away from what everybody's got going on. Obviously, we got Boyan now, so we have some guys that are really looking good and and ready to step up and uh, that's what we're really excited about that's Donovan Mitchell talking about his relationship with Rudy Gobert and he wants it to be about the team not about those two guys but PK when you're the two all-stars you are a big chunk of the team so the two things kind of go hand in hand he's right it is about the team but the team's going to need the two all-stars to function together at a really high level and off the court they do not have to be the best of friends they just have to have a working relationship and if they've got that then the team can succeed obviously with Bogdanovich out that's one hand tied behind their back and if they miss Mike Conley for a playoff game or playoff games because that's when his wife gives birth and he goes there well that's two starters and they probably can't overcome that if they can it'll be a great story Uh, but if they can then the two All-Stars must be playing at an awesome level. Really, everybody must be if they're going to overcome that. Yeah, I don't think it's about overcoming that in August or September, however long it lasts. I think it's going forward in the next season and beyond. I think that's the bigger issue here. Uh, People have accepted this team wasn't going to uh, be a – I think they could have been a contender and still might be for that matter, but they weren't finalist in the NBA this year it's about what they can do going forward and these are the two stars right now and they're the young guys they're the nucleus the other guys around them not all of them but a majority a significant portion of them anyway are over 30 and uh, not to say you can't have players over 30 do very well but the fact that 23 and 
Rudy's 26-27 going forward here. And plus you've got contract issues that will come up, as they do with every single player. But Rudy's, uh, you know, the, after this next season and all that stuff, it's not about whether they have to be the best of friends because really when they get to the floor, they have to be professional. And what's it about as far as winning? That's really all that matters. And Donovan doesn't want the focus to be on him. But at the same time, he does. You just you can't have it to where, well, I want the focus on me when it's positive, but I don't want the focus on me when it's negative. It doesn't work that way. Uh, the focus is going to be on you because of your abundance of talent. Plus, you're a very charismatic young man, too, and you do so well in your interviews, and you want to be interviewed. It seems like Donovan really has no reluctance to be interviewed yet. He hasn't been spoiled or soiled by the media exposure. Now, maybe this might change a little bit, and it probably does. After a while, it gets to be old hat. I'm sure, you know, I wasn't around here when Stockton was breaking in the league, but I was here at the end of his career, and he was more difficult to deal with as opposed to at the beginning when I would assume that he was uh, open to interviews because nobody really wanted to talk to him. But when you're a superstar at the level he was, people want to talk to you. Some people revel in that obviously Malone did big time he seemed like he was born for that type of stuff loved to speak his mind you never knew what you were going to get so for Mitchell and and Gobert it's about being professional out on the floor that's what matters the most I think they can do it in fact I don't really have any doubt that they can do it Uh, to what level can they do it as far as winning that remains to be seen you know how good are they how good can this tandem take you the statues took you to the brink of a title multiple times and do that well you know the one thing is that uh the the position the size the description of the elite guy in the league neither one of them exactly fit that mold now they got the two of them together which is a positive but i think if you were if you were building the perfect nba guy right now wouldn't you build a guy who's in the six seven to six ten range uh, long arms, three-point shooter, run the floor, face-up guy, and and Donovan, you got a guy you'd really prefer him to be bigger. You'd really like to to stretch him four or five he's inches, six, right? Six, six, seven. Yeah, yeah, if he's in that six, seven, yeah, six, he eight wouldn't range. be on your team if he were that. Though. You're right, because because people would have said this guy's the mold, and he would have been a higher pick, and they had to trade up to get him, and they probably couldn't have traded up even higher. So you're, no, he he would have yeah. come out after his first year, and he would have been a top two or three pick. Yeah, and if you're Gobert, uh, you like the size, but you want him to be face up, handling the ball in the perimeter like Antetokounmpo. You yeah. want him to be six one, you know, on track to be six one and be a guard his whole life, and then have this phenomenal growth spurt where he's got all the guard skills and is the you know so. Neither one of Anthony them are, are exactly, yeah, the Anthony Davis, Antetokounmpo, you know, you're really, you're, you're seven footers out there. Kevin uh, Durant. Kevin Durant, Dirk Nowitzki, right? People thinking uh, Carl, sure. Carl Anthony Towns will be that. Now his teams aren't, his team isn't winning, uh, but that skill set, that size. Yeah, neither did Davis, and Antetokounmpo hasn't, although it looks like he's on his way. And I think that, though, that's that's an interesting point because it's like one guy's too small and the other guy's too tall. And uh, when you look at the statues for their era, they were perfectly plugged-in players for their era. 
the point guard set up the offense, look over at the coach, four down, whatever it was, and <laughs> the power four forward, down. you know, where he you could isolate him on the block, and he was so strong, he could overpower you going over his left shoulder. But also, as he got older, you know, he could step out a little bit and you know, a little bit of a pick and pop or just move the defender away and make a shot. Now, he wasn't taking threes because – I don't know that any four that wasn't a foreign-born player taking threes during uh, that was, Malone's Yeah, era. that was midway through his career. It started with Robert Ory, but it was uh, you're right. He was too early for that. But yeah, so they really fit, and their bodies fit in, and their skill sets fit in. Now these two don't look it, but you know that's where they have to figure out. And I and I and I think they will if the Jazz make a commitment to Gobert. I think Mitchell, you know, he's not going to have a, a final say in it, but I think they're going to call him in, and there's going to be discussions. We believe that you two, with help, but you two can be the foundation of what we're trying to achieve here. And so they're going to have to lather him up a little bit and make him feel good and massage his ego, and that's part of the deal with these guys. You know, we, we've had uh, jazz management talk to us about Gordon Hayward's wife. Yeah. You know, and what was she thinking? You know, all this stuff that goes beyond what actually happens out on the floor. And you have to be aware of all that stuff. Well, when she was here, man, she was a kid. But yet they were concerned about what she was thinking and all that stuff. So I think that if they make this commitment to go forward with Gobert, Mitchell will be a part of it. And then everybody will be on the same wavelength as far as what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, a couple things off that. One, I think uh, as far as the lathering up and getting them to realize how much they need each other and how they can coexist, I, I think that's already started, and I think it will continue going forward. And as far as, you know, you bring up uh, Hayward's wife, and, and you have to figure out who has a say around a player. A spouse, a parent, a sibling, an agent. It's different with every player, but there's somebody. It, it could be a high school or college coach. They tried that with Darren Williams. You know, Darren Williams lasted as long as he did with Sloan because of a conversation he had with his college coach. It could have blown up earlier, you know, and they got a few more years out of it before it did blow up. Um, so you always have to figure that stuff out, and none of that is new. You know, it, the first time you hear, you're like, oh, Gordon Hayward's wife. Well, you can go back to, uh, you can go back to the 80s and 90s and the Steve Young, Joe Montana, uh, Bill Walsh, George Seifert Niners. So you, you can go back all that way. And there are all kinds of stories about how Eddie DeBartolo, the owner, figured out how to talk to free agents and to uh, basically recruit the wives. You know, the same way we hear college coaches talk about recruit the mom. Because that's somebody who has decision-making power. So, you know, everything old is new again, PK. The, the, the faces change and the names change. But, man, a lot of these storylines just keep going. They just keep going. All right, that's some of what we've talked about today. If you missed anything, it's all online at 1280thezone.com. Wherever you get your podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Yaks, you got them there. They're everywhere, right, Yak? Those are the big dogs, but yes, there are uh, plenty of other services were available. All right. DJ and PK, you can listen to the whole show there. We've got one final segment. Your feedback coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Let's go. 
The Big Show. It's a big deal! With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. I'm calling as many people as I can to see what I can learn about how to do a remote broadcast. Well, you know, obviously I can talk about all the areas where I won't be able to do things as well. And I'm very concerned about a lot of them, but that's pretty unproductive. So I've been trying to find out what we can do well and what we can do better. Just don't shoot them with a t-shirt cannon. Jazz by nine, 157 left in the set. Oh my God. They shoot t-shirts out of the gun here in the building and I got hit by one. Hey, that's the only positive is I don't have to worry about that this year. <laughs> the Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it is time for your feedback. And it's brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. Uh, PK, something I tweeted out that uh, we haven't really gotten to, but uh, people can weigh into it for tomorrow, but it's out there on Twitter right now. You found this place on Twitter, and you told me about it, partly uh, because it's the Pac-12, and we both love to... Could follow the Pac-12 because we followed it forever as the Pac-10 and even a little bit as the Pac-8. Most of that's before our time, but a little bit. Uh, and they've got all these stats, which you know is right up my alley. Passing touchdowns in the Pac-12 era at Sports Pac-12 on Twitter. The Utes are 12th. 164 touchdown passes in the Pac-12 era. Now, they had some serious issues in the passing game in the early days in the conference, and so that got them behind the eight ball. But still... They have, Washington State has thrown twice as many touchdown passes as the Utes. I mean, you got to close that gap. Now, it doesn't really matter what you did in 2012. It doesn't matter next year and the year after. But going forward, is that gap going to close? They've got two four-star quarterbacks, for whatever that's worth. Are they going to throw touchdown passes at the rate that really good teams throw touchdown passes? Recognizing not everybody throws their way to the title, but you got to at least be able to hang in there and not be 12th. Do you feel like this is about to change? Well, the only reason why they're 12th is because there aren't 13 teams. Uh, I think it can improve, but at the same time, I don't think it's going to substantially improve. It's not who the program is, and Washington State hasn't won nearly as much as the number 12 team in that uh, particular category. Yes, it needs to improve. Is it going to improve to get in the top half? Yeah, I don't know, because what I do know is on draft uh, three days, rather than draft day in the NFL, seven guys off the defense, I believe, got their names called. So that's the essence of this program. And we can beat this into the ground forever and ever, but Kyle Winningham has won a lot of ball games on that, and that's who he's going to be. Can he get better? Yes, I think that uh, I think Andy Ludwig is the guy here. And uh, as long as he stays, I think we saw it last year, and I think we can see it even more going forward because I think Andy, Andy, I don't think he got the credit. I thought he had a brilliant season last year with the play calling, and I am so excited to see what he's going to do with Keithy this year. Hopefully we get to see it, obviously, because he put Keithy in a position to really be a stud, and this kid was somebody from Texas that Te- University of Texas didn't even want. He told us that right to, uh, to yep. the group's face. Yep. And so uh, Andy put him in such positions to succeed. So going And then they've lost Huntley and Moss, and so – uh, you know, that's a blow, obviously. But, yes, I think it will improve. Uh, but I would say uh, with have some, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but have some understanding is that it's never going to be this explosive throw the ball all over the place offense. Kyle Whittingham would have to lose his mind and lose everything that he's about for that to happen. 
I just think you need something there. In the, I, I'm with you on that. I get where you're going, and it's hard to argue. You've got a lot of history on your side. I just think that, uh, you know, when I, in Washington State, it, it's kind of a one-off there, right? The coach, the system, and, you know, how many division titles did they win? But I look at number two, Oregon, number three, USC, and number five, Washington. Oh, how much did they win? You know, so I think you, you got to get better. Now, just looking at last yeah, year, yeah. because you're right, the offense started looking better. Now, even last year, you got to you got to allow for the talent you have. I mean, Moss was awesome. You, you got to give him the ball. <laughs> he was just awesome. But they threw 20 touchdown passes. They weren't last. They were ninth. And they were only four touchdowns away from fifth place Washington. So they were getting towards the middle. You know, some of these stats, you know, you can get in one or two blowouts and throw some numbers up there that level all of that out. So I don't want to get too caught up in the difference between 20 touchdown passes and 24. But, you know, Oregon had a high draft pick and they had 36 because, you know, they're quite Where were the going to the NFL. Where do you think they were, PK? Right in the freaking middle. Well, I always go <laughs> between five through, and seven. I was going to say, were they one through four, were they five through eight, or were they nine through 12? It's usually where they belong. They well, were not where they belong. They were eighth, 21. And USC, UCLA was seventh at 22. And Arizona was sixth at 23. So, and what, what's the uh, parameter? These are touchdown passes last season. Oh, just last season. Just last season. Now, if you want to go 12, you want to go big picture, I can get that for you. Uh, Big picture, ASU was fourth with 230 in the Pac-12 era. But see, that makes sense to me because even though they've been an average team, where they have been above average has been skill positions. They've had some awesome receiving well, quarterbacks. quarterbacks they've had too. And they've had good quarterbacks. Well, uh, right. The first time they year, came they in they here. They had a first year freshman last year. The first time they came in here and we were talking about, oh, the Utes are now competing with Mountain West athletes. And I can still remember you saying, standing Pac-12 on the field in warmups and looking at Arizona State's receivers, the Utes don't have any receivers or defensive backs who look like that. They're all running around at 6'3", 6'4", 210 pounds because yeah, no, they are recruiting no. to a body type at ASU. If you are, if you got great hands and, you, and you're a great route runner and you got 1,000 yards receiving and 10 touchdown catches in high school and you're 5'11", they're not signing you. They're just not doing it. That you know, they got a body type they're going for. And Dennis Erickson was coaching at ASU then, and he had a bunch of six three and six four guys at receiver. And they could all run and they could all catch and they knew they were they were coming there to make big plays. And they did. Yeah. So fourth, but you know what? To your point though, not that far away. Cal at two twenty four was sixth. So they're only six touchdown catches in front of number six, the very middle of the league. So even that. Mm-hmm. All right, DJ and PK, we're out of time. Hands and Scott are next. We'll see you.